Fat Stack of Books. I'm Steve Scherer. I'm Nancy Pearl. All right, and then a, a table full of folk who you are all going to say your name when the time comes. Katie Sewell's there. Hello. And we're here at Bryant Corner Cafe where we meet every Tuesday morning at 10 o'clock, 10 to 11, to do that stack of books. All right, well, where's your stack of books? Well, I walked, first of all, so I, I couldn't bring a big stack of books. But um, but what I wanted, I wanted to, oh, we have a baby in the in our audience. Early reader. As I was walking up here today from my house, the mailman was delivering, um, I get lots and lots of books from publishers, and he was just delivering package after package after package, which, which sounds like it's a wonderful, like Christmas every day, but in fact it's in some ways a burden because I feel, for many reasons, um, of mixed feelings about it. But, and, you, and you feel for his knees. And I feel for his knees, right. And um, Plus, he's an Oklahoma State University football fan, so, um, and as am I, so we, we bonded over that. Nonetheless, he said, um, he, he said, you know, I just don't see the point in reading fiction. He said, all I read are political histories. He said, I love reading political histories. I just don't see why anybody would read fiction, what is the point of it? And so um, I, I started to, you know, kind of offer a, a contrary opinion because I think fiction is really, you know, does many things for us to make the world um, a better place by giving us the opportunity to be in another person's experience and get out of ourselves. But then I thought, well, that's what a political biography does as well. So then I had to stop and, and think, oh, well, there'd be a group of people here today, I hoped, and maybe we would have some feelings about that that could help me the next time. That would be a very dull world if we weren't making up stories about things. I would be a much unhappier person myself. I mean, look at what book you have there. That's a book that is completely made up, yes? I'm Jessica, and I'm reading The Ocean at the End of the Lane by Neil Gaiman. So far, I've read the first 50, which I still remember from my classes with Nancy Pearl, is like the hump of, the, of whether or not you will decide if you like the book. Um, and it was weird, the first 50. I was like, what am I getting myself into here? But um, I think it's pretty magical and interesting. What a utilitarian world if all we had were nonfiction stories to tell each other. But so many people feel that fiction is, is really is a waste of time. There are a lot of people who feel, as, as, my, as my mailman does, that it's just a waste of time to read an imaginary, uh, you know, something that was made up from whole cloth. Um, I love Neil Gaiman's novels in, in short stories in general, but this one, The Ocean at the End of the Lane, was too scary for me. And, and, and I had to give it up because I, it was just way too scary. Well, how many of you read, don't read fiction? Who doesn't read fiction because it's dull? Or, well, well he didn't say dull. No. He said it wasn't... It, it wasn't, um, it, didn't, it didn't make him a better person. Wow. He didn't learn anything from wow. it. That, see that face you're making? You really disagree with that statement. Sarah Hunter. I just think fiction is a way, even if it's not true, 
it gives you experiences that you're never going to have in real life. And so you get to step into a different place and be a character or be in the character's world and look at those choices that you're never going to have to make in your real life. But at some point in your future, maybe having that experience vicariously through the book will come into play at some other time when you have to make other choices or choices that are similar. So it affords you the opportunity to think through that or even sort of almost live through it. And I, I think that's really valuable. Oh, hi, I'm Judy Ostro. I just finished State of Wonder. And it's an example of a, a fiction being able to mock situations. Uh, that was false science and the exploitation of native people, etc. So in fiction, you can probably say things that would be offensive in nonfiction. <laughs> so someone said that history is the fact, something like history is the facts of um, the past, but fiction is the truth, which I thought was really, Sarah, that's pretty much what you were, I, I think, getting at, too. Yeah. Yeah, Katie, don't that. you mostly read fiction? No, I do both. No, you read both? I read both. Now I mostly read fiction now that I'm not working at NPR. <laughs> <laughs> but back in the day, we used to read a lot of nonfiction. Yeah. A lot. And which do you like better? Um, probably, probably fiction, yeah, for sure. Because? Uh, because I have a wild imagination that the world can't live up to, I think. And I like to exercise it. Oh, so it challenges you personally. Yeah. I like, uh, I wouldn't say I'm a fantasy reader, but I like fantasy. I like made up things. And I like the way that we use stories to figure out who we are as a people and a culture. I find that really interesting. And I think by reading fiction, you just pick up your place in the long line of history of people who use fiction to convey bigger ideas. Yeah, I was just, I'm a little distressed when he said it didn't teach him anything. I mean, I don't think I would have been anywhere near the person understanding things. If I hadn't read East of Eden, for example, or, or any of Steinbeck's books, who always comes back to me. Not to mention Dick and Jane. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, that was, that was nonfiction, wasn't it? <laughs> what are you reading right now? Keith Cook, I remember your name. Um, probably, actually, it is a sci-fi. It's Ian Banks' um, Consider Phlebas. So that is definitely fiction sci-fi of the uh, extreme variety because it's, it's considering possibilities of things that could happen on an immense scale that you couldn't have a, um, a, a natural world experience. Do you know Ian Banks? What else can you tell me about Ian Banks? Um, Ian Banks wrote science fiction, big science fiction. So I consider Flevis, I think, is like a 600-page novel. Kind of, um, I would compare him, if we're, if we're going to compare him to an earlier writer, I would compare him to Isaac Asimov. You know, very, um, you know, very interested in, in um, the science of possibilities. I mean, he's one of those who put the science in science fiction, but he also wrote mysteries under a different name, and he died much too young very recently. Yeah. So Consider Phlebas is the start of a loose, the culture series, right? Another writer that you might like um, is um, Peter Hamilton's 
Pandora's Star. Have you ever read anything by him? So Pandora's Star is the only one of Peter Hamilton so far that I've liked, but it's another one of those big, thoughtful, the possibilities of science kind of guy. What did Ian Banks write under his, for mystery? Do you remember that name? It's uh, Ian M. Banks for his sci-fi and just Ian Banks, no middle initial for his no, uh, non-sci-fi. Ian, Ian N-M-I Banks, <laughs> I-A-I-N. What are you reading right now? Um, right now I'm, I'm reading um, Rose Tremaine's no, 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 that's Rose McCauley, The Towers of Trebizond, but that is one of my all-time favorite books, and anyone who wants a very funny, very, just a wonderful, wonderful um, <laughs> novel set in the 1950s, The Towers of Trebizond is, is fabulous. Rose Tremaine is a British writer who's married to the biographer Richard Holmes, who does just terrific nonfiction. But um, this is a book about a man coming from Eastern Europe legally to England and his experiences there. Um, and her writing is, uh, is, is just pretty, pretty amazing. So I would recommend Rose Tremaine. And I think it's called The Way Home. But, um, but Jessica is going to look it up for me. Oh, The Road Home. Sorry. The Road Home. Fiction. Fiction, but you know, it's a good picture of um, of Russia after the collapse of the of of the Soviet Union and the the end of um, the the communist society there. What life was like in these little little towns, and that's where Lev comes from and comes to London, which you can, as you can imagine, just overwhelming. So I'm reading that, and then I'm also reading Kate Atkinson's um, Human Croquet, which is her second novel. Um, and I, I just adore Kate Atkinson. And I'm sure I read this years ago, but I picked it up off my bookshelf. How come? Such a good writer. Um, you know, she and she. her first novel was called Behind the Scenes at the Museum. And it begins with a line like, I am born. Um, and then goes on from there. And then she went on most recently to write a terrific series of, of mysteries um, featuring a protagonist named Jackson Brody. And they've been made into, um, they've all been filmed, and you can, um, and, and they were on uh, Masterpiece Mystery, I think, or one of maybe Acorn Media showing them. But um, they're great. Case Histories is the first one. So if you're looking for a kind of unusual mystery, very well written, very good characters, um, Case Histories. Case History is the first one in that series. But mainly I've just been, <laughs> I've been in this funk. And then I, so I've just been reading and rereading, you know, my favorite Australian writer, Peter Temple, and then watching the darn videos over and over again. So it's just bizarre, but... I'm going to come back to your funk, but since so many folks are here. So, so Kenley, you said you came, you, you represent two different imprints, but neither of those imprints are fiction. So what's your opinion on the question of the value of fiction? Uh, the imprints I represent, Michael Weesey Productions, is uh, a, the number one publisher in the world 
about filmmaking. So we are the gateway for people to articulate and tell stories to a worldwide audience, both in TV and in film and in podcasts. So we are 100% in alignment with the importance, the ability, and the enhancement of storytelling. Do you, do you read fiction? Yes, I do. What, what are you reading right now? Uh, not right now. I'm reading our books right now, but I, but I do tend to like uh, science fiction quite a lot as well. Like? Anything popping in mind? Heinlein. Robert Heinlein is my guy. You know, going back to the classics. Uh, All right, now I'm going to throw a barb your way, but you can handle it. Sure. Some people would consider those imprints about mind, body, and spirit. Mm -hmm. Some of them might be considered fiction by some people. <laughs> that, that's true. Uh, you know, I work for this company, and I have to say that you have to have the, the left-right hemisphere firing at all times because one day you're talking about Kurosawa, the next day you're talking about uh, chakras, and back and forth every single day. So my brain is either the most active brain in the world or the most messed up. I'm not quite sure on any given day. The authors that we represent for Divine Arts, for Mind, Body, Spirit, are wonderful teachers and instructors of nonfiction techniques about expanding your, your experience and self-knowledge and education and so forth. And sometimes, obviously, they use stories as well. Yeah. So uh, it's, it's whatever tools that are available to you at any given time. But uh, the book is the ability to tell a story and access it and, you know, get some divine intervention at, at any given time. See, I say that to your post your postman the book tells a story and don't make a label about it don't divide it well but I'm I want to go back to Robert Heinlein also one of my favorite writers especially the books he did for teenagers and at that time teenage boys like Red Planet mm -hmm. and so or Between Planets or the Star Beast gosh now I, I have a whole shelf of Robert Heinlein I can go home and start rereading those Yes. You have a whole shelf of Heinlein. His early ones, his sort of, or his All books late. about the young, the sort of more for young adults. Yes. I know we don't label, but yes, yes, all of those. I a whole shelf on my, on my bookshelf. Yeah. Do you want me to bring a picture next time of all my Robert Heinlein books? As a matter of fact, yes. Okay. I, I read one recently that was uh, um, some kid who was going to be a space. You know, it was, they're all the same. Now I can't remember which one this one was about. It was a kid. He was going to be a space to get cadet. He had ended up in the um, like. Basically, he was doing the clean out at the, at, on the spaceship, yeah. and then he was able to yeah. advance through his right. his medal to right. become uh, to become a captain. Uh, oh, an yeah, an astrogator or that's whatever right. it's that's called. Right. Yeah, that's a great one. Is what that is what it's it called? called? Space Cadet? No, Space Cadet is a different one. Oh. A different one oh, uh, where there's yeah, <laughs> it's a different one. But um, but the the one the astrogator one is. Um, was really wonderful. Oh my gosh. We'll have to ask Jessica to look it up. Do you have a favorite Heinlein one, Keith? Is it Stranger in a Strange Land? That, that is one of my favorites also, but uh, the thing about Robert Heinlein too is they've never made a good movie out of any of his books at all, so I'm so disappointed and I would love to encourage the, the young writers or the people who need to re rediscover him, it's like, please make a good movie out of one of his films because the, the other ones that they've done so far have been vastly disappointing. Boy, that's a whole different conversation because that's very interesting. We've had, we've had that we already. We should have, but we should have him back. Fantasy. 
What did you, you say, Keith? I said that happens a lot with sci-fi and fantasy yeah. stories. Hard to do. Aspect and a very complicated, beautiful, evocative, complicated story, and just say we like the bugs, so we'll just make the bugs story. And then was Starship Trooper a Heinlein story? Yes, it was. I did not know that. Yeah, and the book is fantastic and very imaginative and really interesting and has social commentary. That's the problem that I suspect there are people here because there are people everywhere who just won't read science fiction because they think there's nothing in it that they can that they can relate to, but the special effects, but that's the problem with the labeling, you know. Um, it always seems so ironic to me that the American Library Association, one of the tenets of the American Library Association is no labels. We don't label books. And yet the first thing that we do when a book comes in is we assign it to its particular place in the library. Um, and I, science fiction, fantasy, they have so much to offer. So I think if you if you have a teenage if there's a teenage boy young teenage boy 12 13 year old in your life and you're looking for some really good books those teenage Heinlein books um, Red Planet is fabulous it 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 has a, um, a, a, um, it has a, a sort of a sentient basketball in it named <laughs> Willis and I can't give away anymore but do you remember that one? I haven't read that one. No, no. That's not yeah, you have to. That's your assignment. Okay, that's my assignment. That one sounds Thank good. You. Fiction? Nonfiction? I read Jenny, both. right? Jenny, that's right. I read both and I love both for very different reasons. What's the fiction reason? The fiction reason is similar to what Nancy said and also I love what Katie said. Love it about just taking you, there's certain things in this world that, you know, in our normal day-to-day -day kind of logical left brain minds, we don't go there. And that helps you exercise. Love that. It's like a gym for the mind in a different level, the creative, the right brain. Gym for the mind. I like that. What's, don't forget who said it. Yeah. <laughs> TM. Yeah, exactly. What TM. are you reading right now? Um, I am reading, actually I just finished reading this book called The Map of Heaven, which is an MD who had a near-death experience and shares, he was completely like, talk about left brain neurosurgeon, top of his game, and then had an amazing experience that he writes and maps about. Um, so that's the latest one I read. No fiction. I'm reading also something by, um, whose name I'm blanking out, famous, I can't believe I'm forgetting her name, famous romance author. Danielle Steele. Thank you. Jeez. Oh, <laughs> and now I don't remember the title, but anyway, it's, it's one. Of, it's her newest, one of her newest books, and I'm I I love her plot development, so I'm enjoying that too. That's so that's so interesting that you talked about that you love plot development because that's what her books are. I mean, they're story-driven books, and that's what you read them for to turn the page to yes. find out what happens. Exactly. Yeah. See, that's my reading theory out of the mouths of Read babes. <laughs> Ooh, that's very nice. <laughs> that, that, that makes me ask the question of whether that's why, how many of you read on, uh, through the iPad or online? Or, so is there, a, is there a page turning difference for you, do you think, between swiping your finger across? My name is Norell, and um, I, I think it depends on what I'm reading because the books that I read on um, my iPhone, actually, uh, using my, uh, the Kindle app on my iPhone, um, are usually my guilty pleasure books that I'll read during lunch. Um, 
like the Outlander series. I'll just be honest. Um, I love Diana Gabaldon's work. And um, I think page turner wise, I don't even notice it because I'm just like tapping the edge of the screen and the pages are much smaller so it moves much faster, even though it's such a huge book in yeah. her case. So you read it off your iPhone screen? Well, I'm 26, so. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Boom. I'm, I'm nearsighted, no. so. <laughs> but it's fine. Yes. Do you make the print a little bigger, though? No. Wow. No, it's pretty small. Who was saying something about technology and why you hadn't? I can't. Some, somebody was sitting here saying, see, that, that's why we're into the new technology, because we can carry the books around and yes. you can see them. Mine's an audio book on the phone, so I'm listening to it on the bus in the car. Oh. See, that's, he's, he's got his is an audio book. See, there's the other question, the difference in reading versus listening, right? But we won't even go there. That's a false... Another, another week, we, we disagree on that. No, 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 it's a false distinction. I mean, I think, I think when you're reading, when you're reading, you're holding the book and you're reading, then it's, it's you and the author together mm -hmm. creating the book. When you're listening, then it's you, the author, and a and third person. And, but Which I, often makes for an... It, Sometimes you have two good parties and one bad party and yes. ruins the book. Yeah, yeah, totally. But I, I always, people, frequently people will say, oh, I'm, I'm listening to a book. Does that count? You know, does that count as reading? Of course it counts as reading. That's, you know, it's a different experience. That's all. And That's 90% of my, my reading. Yeah. yeah. David, are you reading fiction or nonfiction these days? A little bit of both. Um, I just finished a book called Palm Beach Nasty, which was a uh, police procedural, which was fiction. Who's, right. who, who wrote Palm Beach Nasty? I don't know. I got an advanced copy here. I love to, you know, like I said, I love to go to the uh, little free libraries, and it was an advanced copy. I, so I don't know. And in fact, I picked up an advanced copy today of uh, Wrongful Death by uh, Linda LaPlante. I don't know anything about it, but right now the other books I'm reading are what Mama Gangi calling on my inner science nerd to help navigate the ups and downs of parenthood. Well, you were reading that last week. Yeah, I just started it. Finally got to it. You know, I got kids. So, uh, and then a book called Neighbors, which is about the destruction of the Jewish community in Zdwabny, Poland. Another book that's, you know, just from uh, a, a little free library in my neighborhood. That's, that's nonfiction. That is nonfiction. That is nonfiction. But, you know, I write, I'm a freelance writer, so I do a lot of nonfiction. So it's nice to read fiction. And I think that uh, in uh, responding to what the Postman said, I think there's also the issue of cautionary tales. One of my favorite books when I was younger was a book called, by Sinclair Lewis called It Can't Happen Here, which was about basically fascism taking over the United States. And, it, and it's always stuck with me in the back of my head. You know, I, I look at developments, I say, hmm, that reminds me of this. So I think that as you read, you learn, you recognize, sometimes fiction becomes reality, sometimes in a good way, like uh, Dracula predicted blood transfusions, and sometimes in a bad way. So yeah, so I read, I, I like to read a lot of fiction, and I read a lot of, you know, guilty pleasures, like um, the Stephanie Plum um, uh, mystery series, which is by uh, Janet Ivanovich. I think they're great, and they're a lot of fun. Who, what was the Philip Roth book about, yeah. um, if Charles Lindbergh had won the presidency. People have read that book, and it's fiction, but people have read that book as a, as a way to think about America's political maturity in the... 
some of his, he did a whole series where he basically postulated the South wins the Civil War and then through a series of books goes all the way forward through the end of World War II, what would life in the U.S. had been differently like uh, had that happened. Speculative fiction. Harry Turtledove wrote a series of those. Speculative fiction. Fiction, nonfiction, what do you think? I'd like to speak up in favor of historical fiction, well-researched historical fiction. I mean, if you read Wolf Hall, you have such a picture of life in Tudor times, or Robert Harris and his novels about um, ancient Rome. You learn so much more from them than you do from a history book, and it, become, it makes those periods and those uh, historical figures alive for you. And R Robert, Harris has a, Robert Harris's new book is about the Dreyfus case, and, um, and I, you know, I have to admit, I didn't know very much about it except the sort of broad outlines and that Zola wrote the big mm -hmm. defense of, of Dreyfus. But it was just fascinating. Mm -hmm. And what I love is that a popular writer like Robert Harris will bring people with him so people who wouldn't ordinarily read about that period or know anything about it. Mm -hmm. It's a, just a wonderful, um, shocking, you know, horrific picture of the anti-Semitism in France mm -hmm. um, at that period. You know, it raises an interesting question about that, though, that I often think of. How much trust do I put in the historical fiction writer? Do I assume because he's vetted by publishers that have edited him that he is actually giving me an accurate picture of the era? Narelle, um, my, in my case, I feel like I don't always trust the author necessarily to that degree, but I find that as I read, it sparks more questions, like, did that really happen? And then it causes me to kind of read and research at the same time. And so I get really excited about it um, when I'm reading historical fiction to do that research and really learn what exactly happened. I love that process. Yeah, I get that. Me too. I'm reading this series of books by this fellow, uh, Dewey Lambden, and he's writing about uh, the 1790s and Napoleonic Wars and, and sailing ships of, of England. And so he's com comparable to Patrick O'Brien. But he is, and I read Patrick O'Brien's, entirely different facts about the books, uh, about the boats. Entirely different uh, descriptions of how things are rigged and, and how, what it's like to live un, under deck. And so I'm, I'm like you, I'm saying, well, how accurate is that? And I'm finding myself doing the research, that, and that's a lot of fun. Yeah. You know, last night on TV, the, Richard III was on television, the, the Shakespeare play that they had done, the um, uh, Ian McKellen film version on, of it recently, which sparked me to remember last year uh, uh, they had uh, recently done a televised version of The White Queen, which takes the same period, but from the point of view of uh, several of the women in the story, and then that takes you back to looking at history around that same time. So you can ask which of any of those sources gives you an accurate, uh, do you trust Wikipedia more than a historical fiction, more than Shakespeare? Any of those take liberties with the story. I was going to say um, Katie Sewell. <laughs> I, was a, well, I was a creative nonfiction writing major in college and generally speaking that kept me in the realm of writing about stuff I knew about but I had to take one class that was writing historical fiction which totally changed my whole perspective on it ever since because we were just supposed to pick something and go for it and so I picked 
writing about a maid. I don't know how I picked this, but writing about a maid who worked for the painter Modigliani's family. <laughs> okay? <laughs> and just even writing the first paragraph, like I had an idea of what story I wanted to tell, but even writing the first paragraph, I had the person walk outside and head down the street. And when you walk outside and head down the street, all of a sudden you're like, wait a minute, it's nighttime. Is there lights? What's on the street? You know, like every single little tiny detail is missing from your head. So you have a story idea, but you have to populate it with all these real facts. And let me tell you, it, it was so daunting. It's like spending 17 hours in a library to write one page of a, of a story. So no, after that, it really... Um, the Richard III, Richard III's uh, kind of rehabilitation, you know, he's, Shakespeare portrayed him as this huge villain, he killed his nephews in the tower, but Judy, you know, um, his rehabilitation really began when a mystery writer named Josephine Tay wrote a novel about Richard III, a mystery novel called The Daughter of Time, in which her main detective is hospitalized for a kind of extended stay because he's been badly injured, and someone brings him a picture of Richard III, and he uses all of his detective abilities to prove to himself and the readers um, that Richard III was not guilty of those murders, and that novel um, was the was the impetus for a group of people to get together to start the Richard the Third Society, and now we have um, you know a different view of history because of her. This is Ken Lee. There's a often overused phrase in documentary filmmaking that as soon as you pick up your, the camera and point to something, that you are selecting a point of view. So the notion that documentary filmmaking is an accurate, scientific, um, objective, analytical portrayal of whatever topic is, is a myth. Because as soon as you pick up the camera and point to something, A versus B, you're making a statement. And of course, as you all know, the editing process about what stays on and people see it and what goes on the floor, you're making a, a, a second statement. So I think that's the as a metaphor for historical fiction and so forth. When you tell a story, you pick and choose what interests you as the author and then you're conveying it to your, to your audience. So everything is tinged with a personal point of view and the ability to select and edit along the way. I would also say I think we came up with the answer for your postman. He should maybe delve into a little historical fiction. He'll get a little bit of both. Or maybe he should just come to one of our Tuesday morning <laughs> <laughs> discussions. <laughs> Forget delivering the mail. All right, let's review your funk for a minute. Because <laughs> I just heard Nancy's in a funk about what, what's new to read, right? It's new things that you're funked about. Yeah, yes, yes. I mean, I, I'm having a little bit of trouble finding... Um, and, and not entirely. I mean, every once in a while I am finding stuff that's making me glad that I'm reading. But, um, but I am in a bit of a funk. So do you think it's the fault of... Fault is too strong. But do you think it's the time we're in and the, and the writers that are writing? Or are you... Um, is it personal? I think partly it's personal. I mean, I think whenever we go through it, whenever our reading changes, our reading habits change, it's because of stuff that's going on in our lives or inside us. So, it, so but setting that aside, um, 
I think the way I explain it to myself is um, that the good books, and by good book I mean a book that I like. That just how I, I think that's how we should all define good books. They're books. I'm not going to say that a book that I love is a good book for you. It's just a book that I love. Um, but we've had that discussion before, too. Um, so I, so what I think is that there are, there are good books out there, but there are so many books being published these days that they get lost among all the other books, and they're just harder and harder and harder for me to to locate and um, and that's just uh, it just very it's hard I'm Joanna what does the postman bring does he bring books that you ask for or he bring books uh, that he thinks is going to be a good thing does he know because I talk about books on um, on NPR the, the, the publishers send me books that they would like to be reviewed they would like me you know they would give anything to they would give a lot to have me you know mention them on oh. on morning edition so he's hauling five or six books a day five or six that's minimum five or six books a day <laughs> I, I mean it's just um it's it's just incredible and and you know, and I and I have found books in those books, of course, that I've loved, and but um, and then it, and then there are some of the books that I request, you know, that I read about or I hear about that I think that I'll want to talk about, but in general, um, there, it's just a little bit overwhelming. Do you go back to the books that you know and love and get your nourishment there to start again? I, I do go back to the books that I love, um, and that's certainly what I've been doing a lot of now. But I've had um, a not I've had in recent months a couple of not good experiences rereading um, books that I just really loved. They're on my bookshelf. And I went back and tried to reread them, and I, they just didn't, just didn't do it. And so that, I think, is also adding to my funk, because I can't rely on those. You know, you need to do a cleansing. You need to go cold turkey. You need to go with one of those books that are dealing with your chakras. You go a week, no books, no media at all, just kind of get it all out, do a lot of walks, and then... Uh, as you start to feel the craving again, you're, I bet your funk will decrease. Should I, should I have green smoothies to make a lot of... Uh, that, that actually sounds pretty nice. You might want to do it in Hawaii, perhaps. Right. Or go to England. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I have a favor to ask. So you, you got these books, David Volk, a couple of those books from the free libraries. So I would like to charge you all uh, with... I thought it would be fun to like take take pictures of all the free libraries around, and then, yeah, all those little libraries that are on people's front yards, and uh, we could use it for we could do the Twitter feed right now. I don't have an Instagram account, but at that stack, uh, you could just post a picture of what's on the shelf at the free libraries, and you know what if we got enough people here, we'd see about 12, 15 pictures, and you folks listening, and. Uh, by next week, we'll see all the 
all the things that are on the stack at the free library. So just take a picture of what's on the free libraries and tweet it to at that stack. That's fun, huh? Yeah. All right. Any, any last words from anybody about anything? I just I want to say that usually, uh, like I said, I rely heavily on serendipity. Usually I rely heavily on the, uh, the semi-annual Seattle Public Library book sale to, to get the books. So this year my goal is, since I missed that sale, is to be getting most of what I'm reading uh, from the little free libraries, which means it's going to be a really weird potluck for the next six months. But it, I've found some pretty interesting stuff. All right, and, and I'd like to say a word in favor of in, independent bookstores because that's where I, if I'm, I, I rely on the book sellers to tell me about the books. I'd like to give, you'd like you to give a, a, a historical fiction book to the uh, postman next time you see him and find out what he says. I'll do it. I'll let you know. Uh, we're at the Bryant Corner Cafe, so Sarah, Chris, thank you for letting us be here. Thank you all for letting us uh, ask you about books. See you next week. Very good.